0: Welcome to the first episode of the BrightScape podcast. I'm Scott Boyles, your host for the first one. We are presenting these podcasts to discuss relevant current day events impacting your both your financial and personal world. And We thought it would be a good idea to talk about blockchain and Bitcoin. It's definitely something we hear quite frequently, so I welcome my friend, Tyler Milligan, an expert in the field to discuss. So here we go. Good morning, I'm sitting here with my friend, Tyler Milligan. He's my go-to expert on Bitcoin and
1: blockchain. Um, Tyler, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Good morning, everybody. Um, as, as you mentioned, my name is Tyler Milligan. I'm managing partner at Milligan Partners and co-founder of Rooftop LLC. Uh, we, on the, in the consulting arm, provide technology and operations consulting within the transportation industry. And Rooftop is a, uh, is a company that's currently uh, processing testing some development for a blockchain solution that should be able to apply for, um, should be able to take care of some problems within the transportation and data sharing industry around transportation.
0: Great. All right, biggest question, what is the blockchain?
1: So, here's a way that we've we've sort of settled on. It's taken us a, a few years. We've been dabbling in this this market for about three years now, uh, using the blockchain as a mechanism for solving problems. the The best way to think about it is it's a new kind of database. It's a database that's decentralized and shared. Um, and so, what does that mean? That means that. First, replace the word database with ledger. Think about an accounting ledger. Think about like your checkbook, where you have rows of, of entries that simply uh, that simply are used to define a change of state. And your, if you want to talk from an accounting perspective, in your checkbook, it changes each entry changes the balance of your checkbook either from typically in checkbook from a negative perspective, but uh, could be positive or negative, and What's also really important is, as I mentioned, it's decentralized. The ledger is also distributed. So if you think about a database sitting in a single uh, co-location or even in somebody's uh, data server room, that, that database is physically located in one place, whereas this distributed ledger is spread across many locations. It can be two, it can be 10, it can actually be one. But the concept is that it's based on uh, this multi, uh, multiple copies of this uh, ledger. And it keeps track of, as I mentioned earlier, anything that's exchanged, typically with value, like with Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, it identifies that value, but it can also include commodities, data records, anything, any, any item of data that can be transacted on a ledger.
0: So is there any advantage? Like what's the advantage versus single versus decentralized?
1: Why Why is that important? So one thing that, uh, that's really critical here is that before the blockchain was created, we all relied generally in the last, I guess, 100 years. Generally, we rely on some third party to guarantee value of a change of value between two people or exchange of value, I should say. And the, if I were to walk up to you and I had a handful of salt and I said, Hey, I want to trade this salt for chicken. You might just, you and I look at each other and we we make that transaction. But as you separate out distance and there's distance between you and I, and we are transacting with something other than something that you and I directly perceive as value, in other words, for example, if I come to you with a $5 bill, you trust that that $5 bill has value because the US government dictates that that has value. Well, digitally, when you get on the internet, you're now transacting potentially with someone you've never met before. And you are currently still bound by those rules. You're bound by either using a credit card or that credit card company becomes intermediary and they dictate that. To you, so say you're buying salt for me. Then, um, if, if I'm, if we're having this transaction and we're using funds through that credit card company, the credit card company gives that value, guarantees that value of that the funds that you expect to get. Well, after 2008, after the the, the Great Recession began, there was a, a need for a way for people to, or there was a perceived need to step away from the current. Banking system, so to speak. There was a there was a, a, a Satoshi Nakamoto who may or may not be an actual person; it may be a pseudonym for a group of people. But they published a document called a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. It was a white paper in November 2008 online, and that's where the this it actually solved a problem called the the Byzantine generals problem, and I'm rambling a little bit, but to get to your point, there was no real good way to transact between two people without a third party intermediary. And the the Byzantine general's problem is if you think about a, a bunch of generals that all are working together to overtake a city, when they come into this round city and they're all the way around this round city. They all want to attack the city, but they also have an interest in attacking that city at the same time, with the same reason, um, with the same forces. Well, if you think about a really large city, it's difficult from during, um, at a time where you didn't have cell phones or, or any electronic communication to communicate to all these generals at once or to share a message from one general to the next because you never knew if the general was actually being selfish or not, for example, there could be, he could actually send one message to the right and one message to the left. And those two messages could actually be different, but the generals on either side of him didn't know that that message, what that was. And so what, what the, the white paper solves is that it creates a consensus model. It creates a way where multiple people, or so so you think about the, the generals, these multiple generals could have a guaranteed solution that they know based on how um, the, the the process that Bitcoin laid out or Satoshi laid out through something called proof of work. And so um, we'll get into that here in a little bit, but, but that solved the problem, at least to the best of, that we can tell so far in allowing two people to transact digitally over the internet without knowing each other and without trusting each other before that transaction occurred. It's also been coined if, I I like to call blockchain the trust protocol. If you think about internet, IP internet protocol, blockchain is a trust protocol. It defines the creation of trust where trust didn't exist before.
0: So that's basically the premise of where it came from and like 2008, this was developed, this was a concept, and here we are today with multiple currencies and this sort of thing. So what are some of the currencies that are in the market now? What are the ones that you feel are going to be sustainable, and why are they there?
1: So there there, there actually were some other cryptocurrencies that were created before Bitcoin. I won't dive too much into those necessarily, because really the, the, the solution, the Byzantine Generals problem, that really set a, set Bitcoin apart from anything in the past. Um, there was actually a federally, a US-backed, FTSC-backed, I believe, uh, cryptocurrency or cryptocurrency concept once upon a time. But the the, the I call out I did a little digging um, a handful of items that I think are worth spending some time on you've got Bitcoin as we originally discussed you have Ethereum which is another cryptocurrency it's almost more of a crypto platform um, you've got Ripple as well that I think is a critical player in the industry and with regards to total market cap right now as of today Bitcoin is number one Ethereum is number two Uh, Bitcoin has $118 billion currently in value, or at least as of yesterday. Ethereum, $37 billion. Ripple, $19 billion. Bitcoin Cash at $11 billion. And Litecoin at $6 billion. Mm. What I will talk about with regards to Bitcoin Cash having a significant market cap. So within the the digital world of a cryptocurrency, and cryptocurrency... Is really, it's really important to understand that cryptocurrency is only a type of blockchain. Blockchain underpins that cryptocurrency's existence. But it's so much easier to understand and talk about, so I think that we'll spend a little time on that just because it's very easy to, to, to compartmentalize and conceptualize how trading funds like you and I would do with the dollar bill it can be dig, digitized. But whenever a change Bitcoin is software whenever whenever the the code was released it's open source it's managed by a community and anytime there wants to be there there desires to be a change like any software platform there is a necessity to to fork so to speak that that code so in other words if you think about if you're driving down a road and you're on this path with this with this software it's like anytime you get like in microsoft office if you get an update to your software they come and they update your software software they send the download to your computer you install it and you've now gone down a new path you've actually turned right and gone down a new path with their software because back at microsoft in their test labs they actually probably had a couple different forks in the road that they were following before they said, okay, here I have a fork of software that I'm going to push out to my customer because it's the most stable or it has the most amount of, um, functional changes that we want our customer to experience. So just like with Bitcoin, there are circumstances and times where the community dictates a change. And there's been a handful of different changes that have been released. Um, the, the, the creation of Bitcoin Cash um, is an example of where the community said a change needs to occur. So, just just oh, to sure. clarify, Bitcoin and then Bitcoin
0: Cash were on two separate topic or two separate coins, so to speak. Right? Is
1: They're that right? They're originally Bitcoin. They're both okay. originally. They both use the same base code. Okay. Originally, and there was a difference of opinion within the community about what needed to happen. The community made a choice. The majority of the community made a choice to change. That code was forked, so to speak. And what's really important with the code as well as the blockchain is that you can visually think about the blockchain forking. So the original, so say you've got 10,000 transactions within a blockchain at that 10,000 and first block, when that code changes it can go both directions it can go to the new code or it can stay on the old code and and what happened and this also happened with ethereum as well there's ethereum um, there's some multiple branches of ethereum that are public where a change occurred not everyone agreed upon with, with that change and people stayed on that old fork now if you had crypto assets on the say you had crypto assets in block 9000 when at 10,001, when that's forks, you now have assets on both forks. So potentially you could have value on both forks if both forks stay alive. And the only time typically the old fork dies out, and then we're talking hard forks too, this is important. Typically the old the, the old fork dies out, but if enough of the community continues to, if you have enough miners, that are mining the transactions and keeping that chain added to, you can maintain value in that old, um, in that old fork. And you so, can, what, what is a miner? So that, that's we can dive into that now too. So within blockchain world, the 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 guts behind the blockchain, there exists a code base that runs the software and there exists miners and users of the blockchain. So in a normal world like me, I don't mine. So a miner um, is a person who potentially just simply runs software on their machine to perform uh, processing cycles. And, And I probably should step back a little bit. So within blockchain, what makes blockchain unique as well is that blockchain has the way blockchain works is that each block that's written to the, to the chain builds on the previous chain. The reason why it's called a cryptocurrency is because it uses cryptographic hashing functions. So it uses math, really hard math to perform certain tasks within the process and what makes blockchain special as well is that because it uses really hard math it's really really hard to ever undo and and a hash is simply a mathematical function where you put data into an algorithm so you have an input you have an algorithm which is a math problem And it spits out a different set of data. Uh, If if you wanted to do some research, a very simple way to look at a hash is a um, a checksum. So the most, for me at least, the easiest way to to determine um, the value of a a checksum is if you were to download, say you were to download a game off the Internet. And you wanted to make sure you got exactly the right game that you were expecting, say you paid $100 for that game and you wanted to make sure you download the correct game from the correct website and you wanted to be completely trustworthy or I mean, um, you want to trust that you got the right game downloaded to your machine. Well, the game developer could put a checksum on their website, which is the output that I mentioned a minute ago. You can actually take the file that you just downloaded run it through the hash the same hash typically it's MD5 the same hash that the developer ran their file through and the output will be the exact same and it, And it's usually a long string of numbers and, and letters excuse me numbers but uh, it is a very difficult math mathematical function that you could put anything into. You could actually, if I, you and I wanted to share files and, and I wanted to email it to you and you wanted to make sure you got exactly the right file that wasn't corrupted at all, I could run it through the MD5 hash, get output, stick that in my email to you, Then when you receive that file, you would run it through the MD5 hash and it should get the exact same output. Now, how that applies to, how that applies to blockchain is that transactions are, are hashed and they're hashed over and over and over and over and over again, looking for a very specific output. And that output is defined within the Bitcoin or cryptocurrency uh, software. And, and what's, what's important here is that it's really, really, really hard. It's almost like if we had a gigantic Sudoku puzzle. And you and I may be able to figure that out if we sat there and and worked the Sudoku puzzle for hours and hours and hours and hours. But the whole point is it's a really hard process that you and I could sit here and do. And sooner or later, one of us is gonna finish that Sudoku puzzle first. When we finish that Sudoku puzzle, like I mentioned earlier, the proof of work comes into play. And that proof of work consensus is, I just did the hardest puzzle first I win that puzzle. You would finish second. We would compare our puzzles and say, yep, we got the same output. We both did the exact same hard mathematical process. But uh, since I did it first, then I would be the winner. I would actually write the block to the blockchain. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to mining, the miner is the actual individual that is performing that difficult mathematical function. And, and, by, um, as we talk about blockchain and we talk about it being decentralized, it's decentralized in a fashion that every blockchain holder who wants to participate in the blockchain, so say you and I just want to transact funds, we have a copy of the blockchain. The miners also have a copy of the blockchain. And all they're doing, potentially at least, and not necessarily they have to all they do, but what they're doing is they're throwing in their CPU cycles. They're using their machine, their local machine or a bank of machines to perform all these math functions to create these computationally hard outputs, looking for that one winning solution. And when they get that winning solution, typically within the blockchain world, that miner is repaid with some of that cryptocurrency. And it's as if, it's it's sort of like, if you and I spent four hours a day performing, you know, filling out these Sudoku puzzles with an effort to solve the puzzle, whoever wins gets paid five bucks or 10 bucks or whatever to perform that work. Cool. And that's how the community with you and I, say there's a million people performing transactions, buying goods at Walmart or whatever, you know, goods target. Well, before, in the current world, 3%, 2%, 1% goes to Visa, MasterCard, Discover, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you take those out of the the equation, you and I are doing this digitally, well, the reason why this transaction between the two of us is so, so trustworthy is because a miner took our transaction, chewed on it for some period of time with a whole lot of CPU cycles, Spit out the result. Got paid a chunk by the the cryptocurrency community that he's working in to continue to encourage him to continue because he actually was working on not just one uh, transaction but multiple transactions.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, is this instantaneous now? Like, is the is the transaction like if you and I are transacting, you know, at Walmart, it's instant, right?
1: So, is that instant exchange of Bitcoin? No. Not necessarily. And and that's one of the challenges with the, the, the blockchain world is dealing with right now is that I believe, don't quote me on this, but I think with Bitcoin, you're looking at um, 10 minutes for a transaction to post and you can actually pay more. You can pay a higher mining fee if you wanted to. Like every transaction has a mining fee. We can actually pay more for the mining fee to try to get a, to get ahead of, you're almost jumping in line of other folks. When you're trying to get your transaction posted to the blockchain, but uh, but generally you're at 10 minutes. It's it's that's one of the things that the, the community is struggling with is coming up with a trustworthy transaction that requires a lot of work to ensure it's trustworthy, but also post as soon as possible. And when you look at like the Visa network, I mean they're pushing a significant amount of transactions a second. The blockchain community has not solved that problem. There's a Lightning Network, which has been proposed and is working as well. Which is a, um, I don't think it's the, the code has not been deployed to the to the Bitcoin. Um, uh, uh, what am I saying? It hasn't been deployed formally for all users to to to, to get the use out of, but. It's a proposed solution that is being considered by the developer community as a way to speed up the transaction. Where do you think? That, so
0: you've mentioned Bitcoin a couple of times as far as the cryptocurrency. Do you feel that that is the like pretty much standard at this point, or are you seeing more development? You mentioned Ripple. You mentioned uh, Ethereum. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And then you yeah, know Bitcoin. Um, it, like you said, Ethereum was more of a platform, and then Ripple is really interesting. Can we talk a little bit more about that? or? Yeah.
1: So what what happened with? Um, Bitcoin, it became the standard just because it was the first implementation. I think Bitcoin will continue to have legs and continue to be a, a usable cryptocurrency for exchanging value. The place that I see Bitcoin is struggling with right now is that they've got some people who want to utilize it for transactions of value and other people who want to utilize it for speculation or for value storage. Mm-hmm. I don't think either way is wrong or I don't think either way is right. I think both have value. The challenge is that if you are in a place such as like Venezuela or some place where your local inflation is, is significant, it makes it really hard to buy in a $500 and utilize those over the next two months, just like you're shopping it at your local grocery store. So the current speculation is making it difficult for the people just want to use it for value mm-hmm. and exchange of value. Yeah. But there's other reasons that we won't go into today to, uh, about why that's happening, I think. But nevertheless, that both parties can still utilize these things for that purpose and succeed. What Ethereum came along and did was Ethereum, um, I think, it's, if I could say it right, Vitalik, uh, B- Bitter and Vitalik, we'll just say Vitalik right <laughs> Vitalik came up with a concept for Ethereum where they identified the ability to integrate a digital contract within the blockchain. So every time a block is written, it's a bunch of data. And that data, in theory, can be anything. And even within every uh, Bitcoin transaction, there's a little bit of extra data that you can write where you can put in other information you can actually write a link within that transaction that you could point I could point you to and you can go find that link and interpret it into a human readable link that would be a website uh, currently bitcoins have some problems because someone or some group actually wrote they went in, when they were performing the transactions they wrote they put in links to uh, child pornography huh. so now there's there's blocks that are written to the blockchain that are there forever that have some very concerning data written to them. But you can also, uh, within that data, it's just data. You know, it's just zeros and ones. And mm-hmm. so within Ethereum, the concept is uh, sort of, the, to me, the fundamentals around Ethereum, it, Ethereum is that it allows for smart contracts. And all a smart contract really means is that it's a, it's a, it's a package of code that can be executable, and you can write it to the blockchain, And it's there forever, just waiting for it to be kicked off. And it can even be kicked off over and over and over again. It doesn't necessarily have to be kicked off once. Uh, And and what's fascinating with it, you start to think about like life insurance. You can write a smart contract to the Ethereum blockchain, where I could indicate uh, within that smart contract my attorneys, you know, my my attorney's firm. You could dictate uh, who I am, what happens if I die, or what happens if certain things happen to me. You could have them reach out to an oracle or some third some some package of code that's looking outward off into the internet, looking for maybe there's some website that posts deaths, and so when when this potentially when this uh, contract sees me on this website deceased, then it would kick off a set of code that would notify my attorney that dictates who and how much money my will is released to. Interesting. All with no actions. You write to the blockchain. You walk away. Nothing has to happen. No more actions have to happen. And it's decentralized still. It's everywhere. And so it's on and decentralized. It, it's it's on every node that exists within the community. And you can. It, it's there's a there's a fascinating amount of. um, of decentralized applications that can be utilized. What's also interesting, I think I should mention, when Bitcoin first started and the first block was mined, Satoshi mined the first block and he was paid by the software Bitcoins for mining that first block. Well, those were the first Bitcoins released to the community period. And so as Bitcoin mines, as as miners work, their work gets harder and harder and harder based on how many people are actually mining at the same time. And the amount of Bitcoins that are awarded actually slowly decreases over time. I think the total amount of Bitcoin that will ever be released is 21 million. And when they hit 21 million, that whole, no more Bitcoin will be released and Bitcoin miners will be paid in fees rather than additional new Bitcoin. Well, the difference with Ethereum is that Ethereum, they sold, when they when they um, began, they sold a significant amount of Ether, which is their cryptocurrency name, to the community. And, then, and what it did was it, it seeded the community with funds. And so it's almost like if you created a little island community, and if you're all by yourself, Say you washed up on shore of this island and you think to yourself, OK, you know, somebody else is going to wash up on this island with me. I'm going to need a way to transact with them at some point. We all know that, the you know, economics works no matter where you are. Someday somebody's going to wash up on this island. And I'm going to say that coconuts are going to be my currency. Well, you're the first guy. You cut down the first coconut. Now you have the first piece of currency on that island. You're just waiting for somebody else to spend it. You've got no one else to spend it with, but when somebody else comes, they're going to cut down their own coconut, and then you'll have coconuts to share and transact with. Well, what Ethereum did was, Ethereum shipped a whole boat of people to the island, and threw everybody on the island and said, "All right, everybody, guess what? Y'all came with cash. We're going to have to start using coconuts, because cash isn't going to be supported anymore on this island. So everybody buy in. We've got 400,000 coconuts right now, everybody buy into their coconuts. And that's what Ethereum did. And what it did was it seeded their community. So they instantly, they converted real dollars into crypto assets that could be, that could be utilized for various tasks. And a good example is I converted some cash to, uh, to ether. I use that ether to buy into a decentralized app where, I bought something into the Ethereum namespace, which is actually a, for the nerds, domain namespace, domain name service, uh, is where it's the whole process that allows you to type in google.com instead of 200, 212.100 dot, you know, this number, it allows this interpretation of IP addresses into human readable locations. I bought, I paid in, I bought a location on the Ethereum blockchain that I get to write data to so I can put into that data where I want that blocked point and so I can have that point right now it points to rooftop.eth T- ETH, and or I could make it point to milliganpartners.com I can make that point to but I had to transfer in I had to buy into their community and when I bought that ETH I was buying it from someone else in the community that I'd already bought in and and that's 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 one big difference when you talk to, about Ethereum and Ethereum has also spawned off ICOs when you talk about here in a second as yeah. well. Um,
0: that was going to be... Yeah. I was going to ask you about the ICO. Is this a good point to talk
1: about that or...? Not yet, but Not I can get that here okay. in a second. So then we, let's talk about Ripple. So Ripple is interesting in that it's a little bit different approach. So Ripple is Ripple was created to address cross-border settlements. And so it's one thing to talk about, well, I'm just going to transact with you and the ether and you and I are going to be ether as in the interwebs, right? Yeah. So yeah. say we never want to see each other. We never want to talk to each other. We just want to transact. Well, there's a, everyone recognizes generally within the blockchain world that we have to address the interpretation of cryptocurrency into the real world. And you've got to know your customer. You've got all these regulations around the world about, um, money laundering, managing money laundering and terrorism. But blockchain has the opportunity to break down barriers and decrease transactional costs and manage, inf- ex- what is extreme inflation in some countries that are struggling. So cross cross-border settlement is a way where you can, if I understand it correctly, is where you can manage and have a stand-up company in the real, creating this, this. Um, it's actually a chain of ledgers, and it's got a mo- modified mining process, but it's an exchange function mainly, to exchange funds, crypto funds, that are not necessarily meant to be completely and totally separated from the real world. and. And Ripple, I think the reason why Ripple has value is because they're trying to tackle a real problem, not this. Right now, Ethereum is creating a sort of a foundation for creative entrepreneurs to do all kinds of amazing things, or just simply use Ether as a cryptocurrency exchange exchange value. Ripple is is stepping outside of that, saying here's a real problem that needs. It, the blockchain is going to address it and they they were able to create a concept that would address it directly uh through this through this um settlement process and and i think that's why they have such a, a significant market cap is because they, they the entire financial world recognizes that to apply blockchain into third world countries we've got to take some very careful steps um in in employing it in a way that can help not only the little guy, but won't scare their government. Because for these third world countries, I feel like my, my personal opinion is that there's there's going to be governmental pushback because it's going to reduce that government's capability to control their funds. And when you start talking about that, you start talking about taxes and then you're really hitting into some really deep conversations. Um, so I can't talk about ICO now. So an ICO is, is an initial coin offering and it's compared to an a IPO, a, a, um, a st- public stock offering. And if you think back to what we talked about with Ethereum, where in Ethereum, everyone comes in and buys these coconuts, right? Well, the same idea applies for an ICO, just like you're going to sell stock. You're trying to sell value, you're trying to, you're selling value in a company to create critical mass or help that company recognize an opportunity with that capital to do bigger things. So there's a company called Storage, S T O R J. I really like what they're doing from a, a conceptual perspective. You can already you can already utilize their their uh, platform, but Storage is a decentralized data sharing platform. It's like Dropbox or Box yeah. or Drive. And what's really fascinating to me about storage is they performed a ICO, a sale of tokens. It's more token sales, probably the best way to put it. And what they did was they allowed people, users and investors alike, to step into their community, to step onto their island and buy value. Some people bought in because they want to use a service some people want to they want to stop using dropbox and start using storage and you can only i think right now transact with their tokens so there was a necessity to step in and buy their tokens so that you can participate in their program the investor stepped in because they see an opportunity for increase in value of their tokens because if you take a million people and move them into storage and take them off a Dropbox, there's now more of a value with that token because more people are utilizing that service. And that token is gonna slowly increase in value because the makers can say, well, I'm gonna increase the value from a dollar to a dollar 10 today to utilize my service for every gigabyte. And that value can then be passed back to the original investor who bought 10,000 tokens. Whereas me, if I'm a little guy, I'm just buying ten tokens because I want to put, you know, four movies out in the, on the internet, and I want to use storage as my mechanism to save those those files. But I have to be able to transact those tokens, so I have to buy those tokens from somebody. If you're an investor, I'm buying those tokens from you, and I buy those tokens then I participate in the, the, the storage experience and I'm paying micropayments to all the people around the world who are stu- storing micro pieces of my movies that I put out there. And so it creates this community where these tokens are constantly moving and there's an opportunity for increase in value based on just because of inflation and, and uh, util- utilization of that community. Uh, the, the challenge though with the ICO is good and bad people have now used this to raise tens to hundreds of millions of dollars of capital that, from my experience, a lot of these companies just have vaporware. They have maybe proof of concept, maybe just a business plan on paper and some really good uh, marketing. And they raise a lot of money to do nothing with except go off and buy an island and a yacht and... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> well, didn't
0: they have like a banana coin offering or something <laughs> like that? Then, yeah. no. <laughs>
1: I think I read it was like a banana coin. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. And 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 the unfortunate part that has well, I guess fortunate and unfortunate depending on how you're looking at this is now we have the CFTC and the SEC involved and they are very concerned for good reason I, I suppose about how these ICOs are occurring because. Literally, hundreds of millions of dollars are being raised in 2017. I can't remember how many billions of dollars were raised. At least over a billion, possibly I think maybe one and a half billion, two billion dollars of funds were raised through ICOs. Wow! What, what, like, what is the government role in
0: in cryptocurrency and uh, blockchain right now? That's a interesting subject matter that not a lot of people
1: have talked about. The the it, Definitely different, uh, countries are taking different angles at the blockchain. So Singapore is a significantly open, uh, government when it comes to blockchain. They actually have a annual conference there that is the conference to go to when, to when talking blockchain. Uh, China has become overly concerned about the blockchain. They have, um, made some recent uh, decisions in, in the past six months that have backed off on allowing Chinese companies to mine or create cryptocurrency because it, it separates them from those those, those companies from having uh, the Chinese, was it yen? I guess it is. yeah And so China is in a state of, of flux when it comes to regulation. Now stepping into the U.S., the, from my understanding, the CFTC is currently responsible for managing or for oversight with a little O when it comes to cryptocurrency. The cryptocurrency has been, I believe, currently defined as a commodity, and therefore, CFTC is responsible. The CFTC and the SEC have taken some action against some folks. They've actually Taken a few ICOs, they've either stop, they've stopped a few ICOs, they've um, taken a, I guess they've subpoenaed a few people um, due to nefarious activities with their following an ICO uh, because it's clear that, or at least for whatever reason they believe it's clear that the, the, the ICO was meant to steal money. Mm-hmm. Um, the The CFTC is asked currently. They've asked the community to create a self-regulating organization, SRO. The, I can't remember, the company is not on my the tip of my tongue here, but the Winkle, Voss twins, they have stepped forward. They have a company, a blockchain company, and they've indicated that they want to drive forward and begin the process of creating this SRO. What's important about this is that the... The blockchain community as a whole has been very open and supportive of each other. Uh, the many, many, many people have have indicated that blockchain can be as big or will be as big as the internet and how the internet has affected our lives today. So, because of that, the smart legislators there's something called the blockchain Cau- caucus within the U.S. Congress. Um, I believe. Jared Polis out of Colorado, David Schweikert out of Arizona, uh, Representative Emmer out of Nevada—I think it is Nevada. I can't remember where Emmer is out of. But they're some of the key participants within the Blockchain Caucus. They see the critical nature of policymaking around blockchain. And even the, we're a member of the Chamber of Digital Commerce. They're a significant player as well because they are driving some significant policy discussions around cryptocurrency and digital assets. And the whole intent is that we want to get ahead of this as much as possible as a community, because we recognize that regulation could likely stifle innovation, and and. It's blockchain is significant with with the potential of impact that it can have across many, many different industries. Aside from just the financial industry, it, it, from a real estate perspective, from, like I mentioned, smart contracts with life insurance. When you start talking about um, cost savings with transactions within third world countries, when you start looking at the annual GDP of a third world country that's trying to step up and, and play as a global player, if you're talking 2.5% for every transaction that's being uh, sucked away from, um, to a credit card transaction, that's significant. And if you can cut that down to one percent. Or transfer those transactions transfer those fees over to a different player that starts to really have a, a disruptive uh, impact and and so the the good news is the chamber of digital commerce were we're tightly integrated with those folks even though we're a small player we've got some really strong connections within that group we just left their summit last month in DC uh, already the Department of Treasury has they are in the midst of a um, asset management pilot with regards to blockchain. The US Postal Service is working through developing an approach to a blockchain pilot. There's The government is already diving into different ways of how they can utilize, it's almost like drone usage. If you follow the drone market, there's, within transportation, one of the problems that exists is with drones. Depending on how you operate that drone, you may have to have a pilot's pilot's license. Within operation of that drone, depending on certain regulations within the state and the federal um, the FAA, if you take video, you may have to get signed authorization from everyone in that video. Well, think about the DOT that wants to utilize that drone for bridge inspection. Well, you can save tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, inspecting your bridges within the state using a drone. Well, the problem is... If you're inspecting that bridge, it's highly likely that someone's driving over that bridge, and it's not always reasonable. If you're talking, count San Francisco and the Golden Gate, that you can get a release from every single person on that bridge that drove at that time that you were videoing that bridge. So that's a good analogy to blockchain. Whereas there's opportunities here that we're trying, and thankfully there's some lawmakers and and. I guess lobbyists is the right word, but there's industry representatives who are regularly talking to their lawmakers and helping them understand this is not a scary technology. It's something that can be abused, but it's very reasonable. Uh, it can be utilized for a, an array of different activities outside of cryptocurrency because some lawmakers have seen it just as, well, people are using it as an ICO method to raise capital, to stick in their pocket, or they're just terrorists using cryptocurrency to transact behind the scenes so that we can't see them. And it's so much more than that. Because for example, if I want to say, I want to create a cryptocurrency, not cryptocurrency, give right me, a token, and I want this token to be utilized for... Well, for example, there's some, there's some current transportation companies, including GM and Toyota and others, Uber, that see an opportunity with the blockchain and you can use a token to simply track the data event within, so say, say, for example, say you and I have a car and we share a car together and I drive, I I run Uber service and you don't say I'm always driving this Uber service, well, you can actually use the tokens to log the activity between the two of us and the financial activity that I perform within being a shared car use owner, Uber, Lyft, whoever, get. Um, And so the token can be utilized simply just to track the data, not necessarily track value per se, but to guarantee trust within those transactions so that you know exactly how much I should be paying when we're sharing. So say it's a $10,000 car. You need to know, okay, how much do I owe on this monthly bill for this car? And the token simply just helps you and I trust perfectly the usage amount. Well, if you write legislation around an ICO or around a token sale that assumes that they're, Value exchanges, or, or that everyone that touches it's going to be a speculator, or hope that there's an increase in value and have a return on their their investment. Well, that could impact the ability for me to create a company that simply sells tokens because I just want to build my community. Like I talked about buying coconuts, I may just want to sell coconuts, and that coconut may never change in value. I just need to have users buy into that, so that <clears throat> when I am this shared use driver. That the person who gets in my car and wants to utilize my service can also have have tokens on their side to pay me in tokens potentially. You know, you, you start talking about it could have value. Maybe maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But just the 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 way the policy is written could have some downstream impacts. So thankfully the community is really trying hard to 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 document, to communicate, to pilot. Um, I mean, it's, it's really powerful, and, and that's one thing I love about the blockchain community is that, like, you look at Hyperledger project within the Linux Foundation, it's its its entire goal. When you look at the companies that are involved in these projects, you've got direct competitors. You've got R3. Uh, it's a consortium. It's got 43 banks, I think, if not more. You, you know, these banks are all competitors, but they see value in this blockchain, and they see an opportunity that transcends their business function. And they, they, as one individual said a few, uh, two years back at the Hyperledger uh, summit, he said, we're all building the tracks together. And then we put the train on it. All of us are gonna be fighting to tear the train off the tracks because we all compete. We all have this competing need at some point in time from a business perspective, but from a foundational perspective, we see the importance of doing this correctly. Cool.
0: Any other companies that, like you mentioned, GM, Uber, life insurance, is there anything else that you've seen in the real world example that you can give me a blockchain?
1: So let's see, I'm I'm poking around here, so Airbus, very, very, very applicable uh, example. So within Airbus, and also I talked about um, asset management within the, the U.S. Department of Treasury. So Airbus, from talking to some other folks, I, I'm, I'm not a, an airlines guy but or aviation guy, but I'm told that the FAA requires Airbus every four years to, to ground a plane, open it up, and verify all the parts within the plane from a safety perspective. Well, the challenge with whoever's managing that plane when they ground it and open it up is parts may have been swapped out at four in the morning on a, on a, you know, in Costa Rica. It could have been that there was a a emergency event in the middle of the day in Dallas that they had to swap parts out. They usually have a good idea of where the parts came from who made the parts, who installed them, but it's all tracked within their central database and process. And you may have contractors performing this work. You may have, I don't know all the nuances of how this occurs, but you got, you got, if you think about four years on a life of an airplane, there's a large array of people and processes and suppliers that may influence what goes in this plane. And it also requires Airbus to ensure that whatever piece of paper or form and triplicate gets logged properly and put into their system so that when they take it all apart, they can go and find the big pile of paper or entries into the database on their server somewhere, or potentially maybe it's three servers, to go back and say, okay, now, is that the piece? Is that, okay, when did that get put in? Is that even the right supplier? Maybe the supplier lied and they look at it and then you know, an expert can say, oh, well, we got a, a, a fake part or you know, it wouldn't approve by Airbus whenever that part got installed. With the blockchain, depending on how they implement it, potentially at year four, when they open that plane up, they have a complete end-to-end path of all parts, all installation points, all details, if they want to go all the way back to the supplier, they could could force their suppliers to implement the blockchain, however they choose to implement this application. So that when that supplier completes that part and puts it on their shelf to be sold to Airbus, it gets logged into the blockchain at that moment, and the entire life cycle of that part can be tracked either to a plane or to a shelf in Airbus's uh, warehouse to understand. And then you can even you start thinking about, okay, not only did it get installed, but what if it didn't get installed? Maybe a part, for whatever reason, has a lifespan. Or maybe when the Airbus releases a new plane, they change that one part, and it has an effect on that part, and they need to trash those parts. Then they, they also have an immediate... Uh, knowledge base on those parts now there's asset management software's and and it's important to understand that the the blockchain doesn't replace all databases but what's useful about the the blockchain is that it's not a single database and it's not some application having a phone home or or, uh if you have multiple implement, implement implementations of that database and you have with the traditional database say Airbus has 10 different main depots around the world. Well, it's highly likely those databases are not mirrored. It's highly likely that there's batch jobs on an ongoing basis having to update themselves to make sure that they all have the newest um, asset list. Well, there's there's a lot of inherent risks with regards to managing databases in that fashion. and. There's also a lot of inherent risks when you have to do, say you only have one key hub uh, where your database is housed, where that application has to phone home because, say, you lose connectivity. Well, then there's potential that maybe you have to put it on a piece of paper, and that piece of paper has to be scanned or mailed or entered by somebody else who maybe doesn't read the language. And, you know, you see where, where a lot of errors can occur. So, Airbus sees value in... in Fully revamping their their process when it comes to parts and safety management within uh, the, the parts replacement process. U.S. Treasury has tried to, what they've implemented, and they've done, what I like about this, and this is important for the, the, the folks listening, is they simply took Ethereum. They, I believe, I don't know this, but I think they simply wrote, they took it. You can, you can make your own copy of Ethereum or you can use the code base to make your own blockchain. And they have utilized the blockchain for asset management because within the, the Department of Transport- or Tre- Treasury, in my understanding, is that when it comes to issuing phones and computers, you got to sign for it got to notify who you are where that device is going at any time you can be audited so not only could you walk away and say Scott you go you know maybe you move two states over with that phone you're still employed but the auditor now has to go find you and they have to go identify you call you up say where you are go find you visually identify that device well with the blockchain you're added trust so key is if you've you' added trust where trust didn't exist well with the blockchain, for their application it, my understanding is that they've utilized this to identify the asset write the asset to the blockchain the blockchain is decentralized so everyone has a copy of it so if there's an auditor in any location that auditor can trust he has the most up to date information he doesn't have to go log in somewhere and determine if that information is up to date he doesn't have to he doesn't have to worry about okay did steve in the St. Louis office remember to Maybe he's got a two-foot stack of papers that he hasn't updated into the database yet. And the auditor doesn't know that, so when he, if he doesn't know that Steve has that two-foot stack of papers to catch up on, he's going to go to the guy who last was into, entered into the system. Whereas with blockchain, if it's decentralized, depending on how it's implemented, in theory, you should, that stack of paper should all be entered into the block blockchain. It's decentralized so the auditor knows when he opens that application, he has the most up-to-date information, at least within a certain amount of time, within five or ten minutes. And you can even, based on the, the security and the way blockchain works is, you can even change your policies and procedures, whereas before you were obligated to go look at that device, you may choose to... Re- relinquish, I don't know if that's the right word, but but lighten your audit procedures in a way that you may not have to check that device every six months. Maybe you can bump it up to a year because you know that if it changed hands or if that cell phone changed state, it would have been entered into the blockchain. And even you could put an app on the cell phone itself and that the, then the user themselves could even uh, update data about that device themselves onto the blockchain. And, and it, it starts to whittle away at some of the current processes that are burdened by um, sometimes it's just that the process never got updated. Sometimes it's that uh, centralized databases have their own inherent risks and, and there's an opportunity to, get to, to decrease that risk with a de- decentralized ledger approach. Um, so uh, even one of the things I'm working on now with, with, with one of our projects is we see where decentralization of data can be valuable to a, to a a government organization. So if you think about government organizations, they always have to do with procurement. Procurement's difficult. Procurement's tedious. They have laws and regulations to follow. They have statutes that dictate certain things. They have to be competitive. Well, a lot of the, I shouldn't say a lot, some of the key applications that exist within the blockchain universe, like Bitcoin and Ethereum or open source, you can procure or participate in a blockchain application with a lot less effort and within the the, the governmental world if you think about like text text Department of transportation text. Department of information resources has they have stood up this centralized database and the whole intent is that data comes in and is shared to this data so that text gets value as well as external parties get value. So if, if a city comes along and plays and gives the data to this database and other parties that participate in this database value, well, databases, the challenge is sometimes that there are unstructured databases, but, but generally you have to define the fields, the schema. You have to have very specific definitions around the data. And we see an opportunity with the blockchain where you can apply a a schema agnostic approach to data storage and utilize the the utilize the blockchain for writing data, reading data, um, and and make it, and do it in a way that. Parties don't necessarily, A, so TechShot right now, I just, they had to procure the data, the hardware, the software. If they use software or hardware service, they had to pay for all that. They have to manage that budget. They have to maintain the data. They have to scrub the data when it comes in, or they have to hold their third parties responsible for scrubbing the data that comes into this database. You could, as a, as a flip, you could stand up. There's some really cool... Uh, like IPFS, interplanetary file system. It's a file system that's decentralized. You can look at storage. You can look at this. Um, all the storage would it probably have some procurement requirements, but you can take a, uh, a decentralized approach to data storage so that then the data storage is decentralized. So you don't have, to have, you don't have to buy all this hardware yourself. You can even tell people if you want to participate, great. If you don't want to participate, that's fine. I can manage the data storage myself you can allow other cities to be permissioned nodes or permissioned participants in the in the um, in the field so that in the community so that if if you said only cities can participate in this only cities and government organizations can participate in this shared data platform well if Texas wanted to they could be the certifying agency to say well you know if you call me if you're a CFO at some city of Plano or whatever through a certification process I could say yes you now get to play in our sandbox you now have to be you can download a, install a node it's open source you don't have to procure anything all you gotta do is get approval by your IT department you install that node you can utilize different aspects of, of um, decentralized data storage and data sharing and with this we've got this concept of a. Uh, this still kind of evolving, but I, as tech side, if I want to start this process up, I could begin writing data, whatever data I wanted to write to this blockchain. It doesn't have to be as defined as what's written to a database. It has to be defined because people want to read it. So if they want to read it, they have to understand what they're reading. However, you're not constrained by the database constraints that exist otherwise and 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 so it it allows for potentially another party that maybe they they can't afford to stand up their own hardware and software or maybe they can't get approval to start streaming data to text out directly well when you have a decentralized ledger that ledger's local and you may be able to sidestep some of your current restrictions by simply writing to that local ledger and that ledger constantly updates with everyone else's data, and that da- that ledger is replicated elsewhere, so that then all the other third parties, other uh, text on whoever else, also has access to that data. So that may be able to sort of sidestep some constraining um, regulations around the the current method of, of data and sharing. And it sounds like it's like super efficient. Right? Like you're
0: finding a lot of efficiencies because you're not having to go through each different step because you've got a simple database that, or the database information is public, right? So for me to post something to this database, I already know how to do that, right?
1: Potentially, yeah. Yeah. And it can be public, it can be private, or it can be a hybrid of both. That's something else that's important is that you can even create a, a, a space where Miners can be, so we talked about mining earlier. Well, all mining is, is someone taking the responsibility of the CPU cycles to do the math. You can, techsock can say, I'm going to, I'm going to tell everybody, I'm going to do all the math for you. If you want to, you can do the math too, but you don't have to. Now, maybe you, we write an ILA, an interlocal agreement, and you pay me a little bit every year to, to cover this math, but you don't have to. Um, within, a, within a strictly permissioned ecosystem, only the governmental agencies are players, right? But if you wanted to, you could say, potentially, this is kind of wild, but you could say, you know what, we're going to make it public and private, we're going to make a hybrid blockchain where only certified authorities can write to the blockchain and only certified authorities can read to the blockchain, but anyone can mine blocks. Because they don't have to know what they're mining, necessarily. It's just zeros and ones. We could say, you know what? Any taxpayer in the state of Texas can play along and be a miner if they want to. And you know what? Maybe we'll pay you. Maybe we'll give you a, a rebate on your gas tax. They could do that. There's no reason why they couldn't do that. Because if it's someone else is mining that data, it's saving DOT CPU cycles in their operational budget. And so you can kind of do some creative things there i mean even like we work in the tolling industry and and you know you could even do that with tolls you could you could reward people by mining if you wanted to implement the blockchain within tolling mm-hmm. to pay people back with free tolls if you wanted to so when they log a block they get a percentage of ownership of of for free tolls or you know whatever and and then in the completely public space It's where the, that's where you have like Ethereum as a blockchain, Ethereum can be public and private, but, but like Bitcoin, Bitcoin's public as can be, everybody's got access to it, right? It was designed that way purposefully, right? So you have this spectrum of completely public versus completely private and, and you could do some really cool things. Hyperledger is something that we're a a big fan of where Hyperledger fabric is, is a, a foundation, sort of a Protocol, so to speak, of uh, they're defining this permissioned uh, blockchain. Uh, they also have um, the Hyperledger project has Corda, uh, RoHa, different flavors of blockchain because they see value in blockchain being used for different things. And so, um, it's uh, sometimes I hear from governmental actors they'll, they'll say, well, you know, I, I don't want to touch that cryptocurrency that scares me. Or, you know, I don't want all my data necessarily transparent. Like even not that government data shouldn't be transparent, but sometimes certain certain information shouldn't be transparent or it should be permissioned in a way that you can only gain access to it with request. Well, all that can be implemented in the blockchain. The blockchain allows for, depending on how it's implemented, full constraint, even I want to mention Microsoft. Last month, Microsoft released a, uh, a white paper. It's called Advancing Blockchain Cybersecurity, Technical and Policy Considerations for the Financial Services Industry. <laughs> One of the things they talk about is utilizing a cloud service for, like IBM has a cloud service, Azure has a blockchain platform. It allows you to create this sort of centralized, decentralized mechanism where you utilize a cloud services in a way that allows you to add additional permissions and security around the blockchain and this is mainly for we're talking we're not talking like open cryptocurrency like mm-hmm. trying to transact for value we're talking trying to implement these for enterprise solutions and then you can start talking about roles and permissions you can start talking to talking about additional layers for security uh, the data is secure and the way blockchains are written is extremely secure which is good. But just like with any software application or with any human human writing the code, you have human errors in the code. You have the ability to be fished. So if you were a utilize, if you, you'd say like an Airbus, say you utilize the blockchain. Well, there's no reason why someone couldn't get fished. a mechanic couldn't get fished, And then they get compromised in a way that data gets written to the blockchain that shouldn't have ever been written there. Now, one of the things that the white paper actually talks about is if bad data gets written to the blockchain, what do you do? Right. Well, my vision is, I envision where if in a permissioned blockchain sphere in a community, it's sort of like, think about the internet and think think about your SSL certificate. So when you go to your bank, you get the little in your browser, you get the little green padlock That's a green padlock because VeriSign or DigiCert or someone gave a certificate to the bank and your browser has also a root certificate from DigiCert. So when you go to your your bank, and say we're using DigiCert as an example. Say you go to Wells Fargo and and you go to wellsfargo.com, a process occurs where the root certificate in your local browser and the certificate that's been issued to Wells Fargo is tied together and verified by your local machine that that certificate's true. Well, you just use VeriSign or DigiCert or whoever to create this uh, sort of extra layer of trust. Well, you can do that within the blockchain. You can, you can utilize, you can create, um, it's, it's baked into the, the way blockchain works. And, and we see an opportunity where you can utilize these third party certificate authorities or create these certificate authorities, so to speak, that can help add additional security around your transaction so that going back to the Airbus thing, if someone compromises a mechanic or some supplier and they write bad data to the blockchain, to me, there's no reason that you can't update that blockchain code, just like you'd update your browser. Sometimes, some certificate, root certificates get pulled because they they get added to your browser, thinking that it's a stand-up company, but in reality, they're not. And so then those 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 uh, certs get pulled. Well, if you think of a timeline of the blockchain, save bad data gets put in on day 37, 38, and you're at day 50. Well, I see, I foresee that you simply do a soft fork of the code that modifies the certificate data around when those transactions were written. So it's almost like those transactions are there and anyone can see them, but they're just sort of just, dis, they're disregarded in a, in a, in a way they're, we, we just look over them in a sense. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. to me, that allows for some flexibility and extensibility within the blockchain so that. You don't have to hard fork or soft force the code when you have a bad actor that that comes in. Because the worst case is, and this has happened before, and there's something we won't talk about today, but there's the DAO. It was a decentralized autonomous organization that was created. It was a corporation with owners. People had ownership in this DAO, this organization. A lot of money, millions of dollars. Well... A minor problem with the code was known. It was logged in the uh, change request to be changed. Somebody took advantage of it and stole millions of dollars Hmm. because just of an unfortunate event, an unfortunate coding event. It wasn't... No one was hacked. They just took advantage of the way the code was written. Well, the Ethereum community made a decision to actually step back before those transactions and fork before. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Which then disregards the code, at the, the blockchain after that fork. So, not only if you had just a simple fork in the road, they stepped back and went blocks back and forked at that point. So, to the say, company
0: got their money back?
1: Well, to give some of the people their money back, not yeah. everyone. Yeah. Because that value still exists. That person who stole that money still has on the blockchain, they still have, because the, those two forks continue to exist that they have that problem so there's some interesting ways around the community is still learning how to sort through some of this but it's it's i would strongly suggest to you and when you're talking to your clients and friends is that as of yet i have not seen a problem that can't be sorted out within the open regulations that we have right now today, it hasn't been snuffed out that there's still some creative ways that we can get around as a community to solve some of these processes. It's really fascinating. Um, and, And from a financial perspective, from a financial advisor perspective and trying to understand managing assets or financial transactions, trust me, the fact that 43 banks are participating in R3 should tell you very quickly that the blockchain is sound and, has legs oh absolutely absolutely is there anything else you want to add to the our blockchain conversation i don't think so i think i think that covered most of my thoughts um i know there's a lot so it's, it's a big topic <laughs> all right
0: hey <laughs> you know it was great man i really appreciate it thanks no, for sure. your time no thanks for having me i appreciate it all right man